I'd ask you to please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 30, 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same Lord, sorry, the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. <clears throat> to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where should the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, we, sorry, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church the first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of our Lord, and he added truth to our hearts for the building of his church and for the glory of his name. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Our great and glorious triune God, we praise you for the glory of the church. 
Lord Jesus, the, the church, your bride, that you have endued with gifts through the power of your Spirit. We praise you, Lord, for this local church and for those that you have sovereignly placed here according to your plan. And Lord, we ask that, that you would work through your Spirit. Lord, to cause us all to have a deeper understanding of the spiritual gifts and to understand what the purpose of the gifts is, that we may, by your grace, through the power of your Spirit, walk in the fulfilling of our duties as individual members of the church in serving in the ways that you have apportioned to us. We pray this, Lord, not for ultimately for our individual blessing, but Lord, for the blessing of your name. We pray that, you're, that this church would be built up, that you would help us, all of us, Lord, to help the body to build itself up in love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There once was a generous father who had five children. And he gathers the children to give them a gift. He sets a large, heavy box on the middle of the dining room table. And together, the, the children rip off the paper and, and open the box. It's one of those Makita, Makita combo tool sets. One receives a, a circular saw. Another, a reciprocating saw. A third, a hammer drill. Another, an angle grinder. And another, a cordless drill. The father tells them that the, the family home is in desperate need of repair and that he wants their help. The sister, eldest sister, receives a, a cir the circular saw and she doesn't understand the value of her gift. And, and so she, she just puts the, the saw up on a shelf and leaves it there. The second child, the, the brother, receives a reciprocating saw, and he grumbles uh, something about how, how dad just gives a gift for his own needs and then goes home to build his own deck. The, the sister that received the hammer drill, she's very excited about her gift, but she, she uses the hammer drill to crack walnuts. The, the brother who receives the angle grinder has an, an accident involving the family cat. And I won't go into details because there's children present. And all of this leaves the, the youngest, the sister with the, the cordless drill, alone to help her dad all by herself. Now, as, as you, you hear that story, where do, you, where do you place yourself in this story? Are, are you like the sister with the circular saw? Do you let the gift that God has given you sit on a shelf? Do you even recognize your spiritual gifts? Are you like the brother with the reciprocating saw using the gift that God has given you for selfish purposes? Or are you like the sister with a hammer drill using the gift that God has given you for entirely the wrong purpose? Or are you like the brother with the angle grinder eager to use the gift that God has given you but causing damage through your lack of skill? Or are you like the brother with the cordless drill who uses the gift that God has given you but need help. Brothers and sisters, God in his supreme wisdom has given each one of us spiritual gifts and has sovereignly placed us in this local church to love one another and to work together for the building up of his body. It does this because he loves us intimately and because he wants his name to be glorified through the local church. And then when you think about it, it really is 
an amazingly wise plan. Only God has the omniscience and who to be able to put something together that is so intricate and so beautiful as the local church. Only God's omnipotence could, could put something so complex together. And only God in his love could transform weak and rebellious people to love each other and to serve him in such a way. Now, if you do a quick internet search using the term spiritual gifts, you're going to get many interesting but not necessarily edifying results. This goes to show that, that you should not use the internet as a primary source for theological information, at least not without a large dose of discernment. Instead, you need to rely on God's word. We need to have a biblical understanding of our terms. So we need to, to seek out, to study God's word for ourselves and to seek out teachers who are themselves reliant on God's word, not on their personal experience or opinion. You see, experience is subjective. People have a lot of experiences, but they don't understand their experience when they do not understand God's word. Experience must be filtered through God's word. Similarly, opinion is also subjective, but opinion is like an onion. When you begin to peel back the layers of an onion, what you get, you just get more layers until you get nothing. It's just all layers. Opinions tell you more about the one who holds the opinion than about the issue at hand. Now, I've had my own experiences and I have my own opinions, but I want to try, to, by God's strength, to stick to the Word of God. Of course, I try to do that every week, but, but the study of spiritual gifts is one area where people are particularly prone to rely on experience and on opinion, even when they couch their explanation in biblical terms. Now, we are about to... to undertake a study of the book of Acts, Luke part two, which, which is, as I explained last week, is, is commonly referred to the title by the title, the Acts of the Apostles. But as you study through the book of Acts, you'll see that a more apt title would actually be the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who is at work building the church. Is the Holy Spirit is at work in, in people to transform them. The, the, trans, the Holy Spirit transforms the, the, the apostles to make them bold in the proclamation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit transforms Paul, who formerly was Saul, a, a blasphemer, persecutor of the church, and uses now the apostle Paul to build the church. So when you think about, about the, the birth of the church, which takes place in, in Acts chapter 2, we see there the fulfillment of the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ had given that the disciples were to tarry in Jerusalem until they received the promised power from God. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is the receiving of that promised power. And immediately, as the Holy Spirit is, is poured out on the apostles, we have Peter's sermon, and it is at the, at the response of Peter's sermon that the church is born. This is all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to, to undertake 
this, this study in this lead up of our study of Acts. And so we're going to be doing this over the, the next five Sundays. We're going to revisit a, a study of the spiritual gifts as they're discussed in the scriptures. Of course, the, the, the main biblical source for understanding the spiritual gifts is the Apostle Paul. Now, of course, Peter, the Apostle Peter and Jesus himself deal with spiritual gifts too. They teach on these things, and so we're going to deal with their teaching as well. But, but we're going to mainly focus on the writings of the Apostle Paul, and especially this morning in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to, to 14, and also in, in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. But for this morning, I mainly want to draw specifically from 1 Corinthians 12. But, but the crux of 1, Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians 12 is actually 1 Corinthians 13, as we'll see. So after outlining the, the foundational issues, we're, we're, we're going to, in subsequent weeks, we're, we're going to discuss the, the main spiritual gifts that, that are identified in the scriptures. Just to set a bit of context. Prior to coming to Christ, the the Corinthians had been led astray by demonic powers. They had been in bondage to demonic experience. And, and, but this was nothing new just to Corinth. In, in Habakkuk chapter 2, 18 and 19, when, when the prophet pronounces woes on the Chaldeans, he says, what prophet is an idol when its maker is shaped and its metal image is a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it. But, says Habakkuk in verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So it's nothing new in, in Corinth and it's, it's still happening to this day. Now when we think of, of, of demonic activity, we think of places like, like Papua New Guinea and, and parts of, of India and Africa. But it's happening in the West too. There has been a rise of interest in the occult over, over the last 20 or, or more years that is staggering. The entertainment industry is saturated with the occult. More and more psychics are, are setting up shop in, in urban areas. T 20 years ago, you would have, have been considered a kook for going to a psychic. But now it's mainstream. When, when I taught school years ago that several of my coworkers would visit psychics on, on a regular basis. But it's not just in the world. This type of anti-biblical thinking has infiltrated the visible church. The word faith movement as exalted, magical thinking, this, this idea of, of making your own reality with, with thoughts or by repeating uh, some, some words as a mantra. You know, we think of, of Bethel Church in, in Redding, California. We think of, of Hills Christian Church in, in Sydney, and now it's spread all over the world. The, these churches are influenced by the occult, not by the Word of God. There are churches in, the, in this very city where, where people are, are slain in the spirit. Right? Slain in the spirit. Where they, they fall into trances. People writhe around on the ground. They bark like dogs or, or roar like lions. Or they, they dance around speaking gibberish. And this behavior would be far more fitting in a pagan temple than in the church of God. 
So in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. There are, there are, are gifted people in the church, but the Apostle Paul here is not just laying down a, a, a test to determine how we can know whether prophetic utterance comes from the Holy Spirit. There are gifted people in the church but, but Paul is, is not just or even primarily talking about sensational gifts, that those that, that cause public curiosity and excitement, especially that of tongues, that has become the focus in, in, so, much, uh, in so many Pentecostal churches. There's, nor is, is Paul just talking about the, the upfront gifts of, of teaching and preaching. There are people who are gifted in all kinds of ways. Remember that the first, that, that list, the list is, that's in Romans 12, it included exhortation and encouragement, service, giving, and mercy. Paul is, is here laying down a test that we can know whether someone is truly spiritual. And the way that you tell whether someone is, is truly spiritual is not whether they, they, they can supposedly speak in, in some strange tongue. The, the way that you can tell whether someone is truly spiritual is, is whether they it's whether they actually display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You, you can fake the gift, but you can't fake the fruit, at least not for any extended period of time. So one who's truly spiritual is, is exercising spiritual gifts in a way that, that comports with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, especially that of love. Especially that of love. Dear Carson says that 1 Corinthians 12, 3 offers a, a criterion not to establish true and false ecstatic utterance, but to, establish whether, uh, but whether to establish whether or not any particular spiritual manifestation may be used to authenticate the powerful presence of the Spirit. David Garland says similarly, the confession that Jesus is Lord is a validating sign that one is a Christian inspired by the Spirit, not a touchstone to, engage, to gauge authentic prophetic speech. Paul seeks to determine the elitism of, as he says, glossolalia flaunting pneumatics. Like that glossolalia flaunting pneumatics. This is very common in, in Pentecostal churches today. Glossolalia refers to this, this speaking in tongues, and they, they flaunt this. And, but I don't think that, that pneumatics, which is of the spirit, is really the best term either. We, we'll get to the we'll discuss this a little, a little bit later on. Now I mentioned how, how people tend to rely on opinion and experience with spiritual gifts. And one of the key ways that the people do this is by trying to identify their own spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not meaning to be critical of you if you've done this, but, but many rely on, on things like, like online spiritual, spiritual gift tests. I won't ask you to put up your hand if you've done one. In order to attempt to determine giftedness. You see, when, when you do an, an, an online spiritual gift test, what you're doing is you're relying on subjectivity. You're relying on your opinion or, again, your experience. Here are some of the questions that I randomly pulled from the Internet on a, a so-called spiritual gift test. Rate on a scale of one to five. I enjoy starting new churches. I enjoy starting new churches. Well, do you see the problem with this? That, that somebody who feels that they are gifted as a church planter will automatically answer with a five. And so then they, they can then take steps to plant a church without the affirmation of the church. Or here's another. 
I can tell when someone is insincere. Again, someone who, who thinks that they are gifted here, they, in this case with discernment, will say five when they might not even be, be able to tell whether they're being insincere. Believing that you have the gift of discernment, if you don't, can do serious damage in the church. And I've seen it here in this church. While I applaud the, the effort to, to determine spiritual giftedness, such, such searches actually can reveal a fundamental misunderstanding. You need to understand what the gifts are for before you can understand what the gifts are or what your gifts are. Trying to subjectively de identify your gifts reveals a deeper subjectivity than you even realize. Because what you're doing then is you're actually trying to determine your own spiritual giftedness without being in the context of the local church, without relying on the local church. The identification of spiritual gifts must take place within the context of the local church. It is the gathered church that helps to affirm and to identify spiritual gifts, not your private opinion. Again, you need to understand what the gifts are, but first you need to understand what the gifts are for. And then you can begin to understand, seek to understand what your gifts are. So that this per, this personal quest for, for finding your spiritual gifts often, again, reveals this subjectivity. Because for many, trying to determine your spiritual gifts is self-oriented. People often want to know what their personal gifts are for their personal development or their personal advancement. Again, there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to grow in the use of your spiritual gifts, but the question is why? Do you want to grow in the use of your spiritual gifts for yourself? Or do you want to grow in the, the use of your spiritual gifts for the glory of God and for the growth of the church? Now, this is really a hard question for us personally to answer because, because we, can, we, can, we can say, most of us, I think, would say, of course we'd say this, oh, yes, it's for the glory of God. Yes, it's for the growth of the church. But the real way to answer that question is how do you respond when others do not thank you? Recognize when you are, you believe, using your gifts. How do you respond when, when others get, get accolades, when others get opportunities that you don't get? That is revealing whether you are in this selfishly or for the glory of God and for the building of the church. Again, we're all prone to these things, but it's, it's important to recognize and to repent. And then you'll be able to see clearly, more clearly, to, to see what, what's really taking place here. Bottom line about spiritual gifts is that they aren't your gifts. The spiritual gifts aren't your gifts. They do not belong to you. They belong to the church. The gifts are not for you personally. They're for the church. But in our individual, individualistic culture, we often fail to recognize this. Now, you will get, get some personal benefit, even great personal benefit from the use of your gifts, but, but that's secondary. It's even tertiary. The spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the church, therefore the building up of the body. However, the very gifts that are supposed to build up the body 
often tear the body apart. That's exactly what happens in Corinth. With the gifts of the Spirit, the, the Corinthian Christians found yet another way to divide. Remember, this is a church that was, that was even dividing over the Lord's table. So, so, of course, it makes sense that they're going to divide when it comes to spiritual gifts. On, on the one hand, you, you had those who used the gifts in order to exalt themselves, and they placed certain gifts above others, and, yet, and they did not practice the gifts in a, in a biblical, orderly fashion. But on the other hand, there, there were those that, that claimed that the, that the gifts didn't even exist. Or practically, they were saying that by not exercising the, their gifts at all. And neither side was offering grace to each other. So they were not offering much grace when it came to the gifts of God's grace. Tell me, what do you think of when you hear the word charismatic? What do you think of when you hear the word charismatic? Well, for some, the first thing that comes to mind is someone with an engaging personality. Like we, we talk about, uh, about celebrities that, that, ha that are, are charismatic. They, they have a they, they have a vibrant personality that, that draws others to them. But for others, when we hear the word charismatic, we, we often think of, of these so-called charismatic churches that they claim to exercise the gift of tongues and miracles. But friends, it is vitally important that we define our terms biblically. The, the word charismatic is a, a transliteration of the Greek word charisma, which 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 is usually in the word of God defined as, translated as gift. And it comes from the, the root word in Greek, charis, which means grace. So Paul, who's, who's teaching on, on grace pervades his epistles, uses this word often, uses the word charisma 16 times. And of, of course, he, he's not always speaking to these gifts in exactly the same way. Romans 6.23, for example, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, that's charis, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He refers specifically there to the, the gift of saving grace, the gift of salvation. But in 1 Peter 4.10, Paul uses the term in a very similar way to how Paul uses it in our, in our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 12. Each has received a gift so as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. That's that word charis again. So then to be charismatic, in the biblical sense of the word, is to be a recipient of God's grace. So let's not abandon the word to those who use it unbiblically. Let's not abandon the word to... to to those who claim to be charismatic but aren't really charismatic. To be charismatic is to be a recipient of God's gift of grace. So to be a Christian is to be charismatic. There are no non-charismatic Christians in the true sense of the word. If you are a Christian, you are charismatic because you have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. But again, spiritual gifts still cause division in the church today. And I, I can think of no issue that has caused more division in the church in the last 50, 50 years than that of spiritual gifts. But again, it's not the gifts that are the problem. It, it's the misuse and the misunderstanding of the gifts that's the problem. 
And so the, the debate rages between cessationists who, who think that the, the gifts, the, the, the so-called sign gifts have ceased and continuationists who believe that they continue. And they, they, many continuations tend to focus inordinately on the so-called sign gifts. And, and most people, I, I think, in the church would be, would be somewhere in the middle. But, but people debate these issues back and forth. And again, they're often missing the point because they're not seeking to understand these things really and truly in a biblical way, but their, their experience. They perhaps have had, had bad experiences or positive experiences with these things that tend to inform their opinion rather than founding their opinion on the word of God. And so in, in this issue, really 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is, is a lightning rod for the debate. And, and friends separate over this. Churches split over this. Again, in, in some charismatic churches with the, the focus on the spiritual gifts of these, these so-called sign gifts of, of, of tongues and miracles, they, they contend that, that speaking in tongues is evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. They, they talk about this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've been in churches where they do this. They, they even they deny, they say, if you're not speaking in tongues, you do not have the Holy Spirit. That's heresy heresy but on the other hand you have have churches that that react to these errors and and so shy away from spiritual gifts altogether and and default to, to mere intellectualism and again each side criticizes the other and and from my experience i, I think in our church we're we're, we're going to be more prone to fall in the, in the latter ditch so we're, we're more prone to to rely on our minds and to overlook the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. And so my hope is that this short series will help us to grow in a, having a more balanced biblical understanding of what the gifts are and what they're for, and that will, will all of us grow in, in the use, God's intended use of the biblical gifts, again, for the purposes God has intended. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says to each to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11 this says that the Spirit apportions, again, to each one individually as he will. So you see God's sovereignty, but this is to every part of the church. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, so together, that, that really highlights really the, the, the core of the message of 1 Corinthians 12. That the whole body is to use the gifts sovereignly given to the church by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body in love. In fact, that's not just the, the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's really the, the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. You know, we, th we think of, of chapter 13. They're, they're in the middle as, as the love chapter, you, you often hear 1 Corinthians 13 preached at weddings, and, and that's fine, but the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not love between a husband and wife. Paul is teaching about that in, in 1 Corinthians, later on in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but, but, but Paul is, is teaching here in 1 Corinthians 13 about love in corporate worship in the local church. 
That's what the love chapter is really about in 1 Corinthians 13. As, as Mark Dever points out, the reality is not just is that not just chapter 13, but chapters 12, 13, and 14 are the love chapters together. So again, these, these so-called sign gifts or, or any gift is not the ultimate test of a spiritual person. Okay, we, we think of, of those who can, can say the word. Right? They, they can say the word, well, Jesus is Lord. But an unbeliever can say the word. Kenneth Copeland, who, who blasphemes the Lord Jesus Christ, says Jesus is Lord. In fact, I've, I've, I've watched a short video where, where he's, he's blaspheming and he's got a big sign behind him that says Jesus is Lord. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Because he denies the Jesus of the Bible. He, he, he declares that Jesus became a demoniac at Calvary and then was born again in hell. It's blasphemy. He blasphemes Jesus and then claims that Jesus spoke to him saying, I didn't, that Jesus said, I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed that he was walking, that I was walking with him, that he was in me. He blasphemes Jesus by saying that Jesus did not give up his riches when he came to earth, that he gave up his deity. That's all, that's heresy. Rank, damnable heresy. But he could say the words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But is he your Lord? You can say the words, Jesus is Lord, but, but unless you have been given the gifts of God's grace that of, of repentance and faith, you cannot submit to Jesus Christ as Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You cannot be born again apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again, John 3, 3. And Jesus goes on in John 3 to show that this work of regeneration is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. So then just quickly to, to walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There is a variety of gifts from one God for one body, verses 1 to 11. There is a unity in this confession. Jesus is Lord. As the, the, the church as one is, is attuned and, and tuned to Jesus Christ as Lord. But there's a variety in the gifts. God loves diversity and, and he demonstrates it in the diversity of gifts. But he is one God. He's one God. Turn with me for a moment, please, to, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 that, that Matthias read for us earlier. There's one God, there's one body. Look at it at verses 4 to 6. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And in verse 11, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So you can see there is one body, but there is many gifts. But the many gifts work together to achieve one purpose, for the building up of the body so the body is built up in love. And so, so my job as a, as a pastor teacher is not to be doing all the work of the church. My job as a, as a pastor teacher 
in this church is, is as an assistant minister to equip you for the work of ministry. That, that is how that is my particular calling and, and my particular gifting in this church is, is to equip the saint, to equip you for the ministry. Now, of course, as, as part of the body, I do the ministry as well. But there, there, this is not just, there's no, there are no armchair Christians. You're not just, just sitting on the bench watching like you, you would a, a tennis match. We're all to be engaged in ministry. Second, in verses 14 to 20, that the message here is that you should not say, I'm less important. Paul repeats the assertion, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. The body is made up of many members. So the body is supposed to be unified. The body cannot function unless it functions as one. Again, if you think about those kids making the human pyramid, if every one of them is, is at a different place on the platform trying to make a human pyramid, it's not going to really be much of a pyramid. Or if, if one of them decides to go out on their own, the whole thing is going to collapse. It's the, the, we need, they need to be working together. And we as the church need to be working together using the gifts that God has given us. And there are, are not gifts that are really less important or more important. Right? If, just because I'm the one who's teaching, I'm not any more important than the one who, who, who serves in, in, in preparing the communion ministry, the, the, the bread and the cup. You probably don't even know it does that. It happens behind the scenes. Nor the, the, the folks working up at the sound booth or serving in music or as you've served our family in, 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 in bringing meals, this is, this is all of it is the ministry of the church. There's, there's not one part of the church that is more part important than the other. But, but, but at times, and this is what was happening in Corinth, that, that those, who, those who were exercising the, the so-called upfront gifts, which we'll see in Acts, I, I think that there was, there was really mainly for that, that time and that, that particular context, that, that they were, people were saying, I want those gifts. Or those who were exercising those gifts said, yeah, look, Look what we're doing. It was tearing the church apart. So if, if you don't have th th those, th those, those so-called upfront gifts that, that are, are valued in the world, do not conclude that you are less important. You are every bit a vital part of the body. Likewise, in verses 21 to 26, don't say I'm more important. Again, don't, don't look down on those who don't have the same gifting as you. Don't expect others to be, to be strong in the same gifts that you have. Just like those who are wrong in their assessment of the situation saying, I'm not needed, now other parts of the body are saying, I don't need you. True service begins with love and humility. So finally, in, in verses 27 to 31, the, the question that now comes from all this is, is what are you doing? What are you doing? Now listen to Paul again. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul here is he's bringing it home. Paul says, you, speaking to Corinth, but every bit as much, you are the body of Christ. You. 
And you need to consider what your role is. And so then Paul here, he lists some of the gifts. And that, again, these are gifts that are given to the church in the church. We'll talk about these in, in coming weeks. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, diverse tongues. Then verses 29 and 30 asks a series of, of rhetorical questions. And to all of these, the answer is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. We earnestly desire that the higher gifts, and these, these higher gifts are, are, are really not necessarily what you think they are. They're gifts of, of love and service in the local church. So you have a role to play. Each one of us, we have, we have a different role to play in the church. So again, the question is, what are you doing? And nobody except you and God may know what you're doing. And people who are, are giving to the ministry of, of the church, I, I intentionally don't know who gives how much. It's between you and God. But when you're giving faithfully to the church, you are, you are serving in the church. You are are, are doing what you're called to do. When you when when you come and clean on on, on Saturdays, and I, I know who it is who's, who's here because of, because I'm here on Saturdays. But 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 I know when, when people come and they they serve. You know what? But again, more importantly, God knows. Far more importantly, just because something's up front does not mean it is more valued. We have all been given spiritual gifts to build up the body. We've been given spiritual gifts to build up the church out of love for God and love for each other. So your spiritual gifts are God's gift to the church. Now, as we, we think about, again our, about our own gifting, you may not understand what your gifts are. And so we want to spend some time helping to, do, to work through the nature of the gifts and, and how they operate today. Again, it's a complex issue, and it's not my, my goal to, to, to work through all the nuances of this. But I, I hope, by God's grace, to be able to help you to be, begin to increasingly ask the question, what is, what is my role here? What, what would God have me do? And, and many are, are functioning in, in the exercise of the gifts, but none of us have, have arrived in that. And so may God use this to, to help us all to, to build up the body in love. So let's try to figure this out together as, as best we can to use the, the gifts that, that God has given us for the building of his church, of, of this particular local church. And then even, as we think more broadly, for our influence in the, in the broader church for the glory of God. So as part of the larger argument in chapters 12 and 14 where, where Paul is, is dealing with spiritual gifts in the context of public worship, he is telling the Christians what it means to be part of the church. You can do what you want, but as Mark Dever says, if your church doesn't know what it means to be a church, you're like a great mass of, of muscles with no skeleton. There's, a, there's an excellent book called The, the Trellis and the Vine. It talks about the, 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 the trellis forms, the, the framework on which the vine grows. And so the, the church is, is the vine that grows on the, 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 the trellis. And so we need to understand the, 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 difference, the, the difference between the two. And we'll talk about this in, in the coming weeks. 
Deborah goes on, he says, we, we live in a consumer-driven culture and we are called by everything around us to be consumers. And, and so too many people, even church members, ask, what can the church provide for me? What can the church provide for me? And I, I've had this, this conversation with, with, with many people and, and visitors to the church and, and they, they think about, well, I, I don't really like this or I don't really like that or you know, I don't like that, that, that music. It doesn't really, doesn't really, it's not the music I like. Was that really a biblical way to, to view things? Again, it's, it's consumerism. You know, I, I wish we, you know, the church to have, have a, I want the, the, my kids to be not in the service. I want them to be in their own Sunday school class so that I could just sit and, and, and focus on it, on the message myself and focus on the service myself. Again, this is, we have, we have reasons why we do, we do what we do here, but people are, are they tend to be consumeristic. They're wondering what they can get instead of what they can give. So you have to ask yourself the question, do you come to church as a consumer or as a giver? Do you come to church as a consumer or as a giver? Do you come here to serve or to be served? Are you in it for you or are you in it for the body? We are all called to serve in the body even in ways that we do not feel particularly gifted. Now, you might think that, that you're not gifted as a teacher. But Paul said in Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So the whole church was instructing one another. Okay, or... Or you might think that you're not particularly gifted in service, but, but Paul said in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Again, the whole church may not be particularly gifted in service, but the whole church is to serve one another. Or another example, you may not think you're particularly gifted in hospitality, but, but Peter said in 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Again, this is, this is not just a segment of the church, not just for people who are particularly gifted in hospitality. It's for the whole church. So you get the picture. And you know what happens? It, it is quite often that through your serving, you discover your gifting. Through your serving, you discover your gifting. And your gifts might surprise you. You might be spiritually gifted in ways that you are not even aware of. Maybe as you teach, you'll discover, oh, through, through, the, through the affirmation of the church, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm actually gifted in this area. Maybe the church will, will recognize your gifts and affirm and encourage you. Or as people come up to you and, and, and thank you for service and you're just, you're just doing it because you do it and then you, you realize as you're, as you're serving, it's like, oh, hey, maybe God has actually given, gifted me in this. Same is true for hospitality or, or any of the gifts. And it's my prayer that through this series together, it will all grow in our recognition of the gifts, not just in ourselves, but in each other. And that the body will build itself up in love. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for the way that, that you have saved us wonderfully through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, was raised for our justification. And Lord, we thank you for your 
omniscience, for your, your superlative wisdom in the fact that you saved us and you didn't just immediately bring us home to glory, but you left us here with work to do. You have empowered us for the work that you have created in advance for us to walk in through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we thank you for your Holy Spirit that in the new covenant you have poured out on your church. We thank you, each of us, for the gifts that you have given us. We thank you for this local church, for the opportunities that we have to serve within this local church. And we pray through the power of your Spirit that you will help us to recognize the, the gifting that you have given us and to be able to use this gifting for the advance of the kingdom, for the building of this church, and for the glory of your name. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.